Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. How does the Bible really help us in um, our struggle with pornography and sexual immorality? So that's a good topic. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, the number one thing that I, I think about in the Bible is uh, Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things who can know it. And one of the major problems that I had, or I guess still have, should I say, in fighting this sin is that I spend far too much time listening to my own emotions and not enough time listening to the Word of God. Because uh, the Word of God stands forever, but my emotions, they they wane and they wax and they've led me a lot of negative places. So I, I guess uh, just to start it off, I think that the number one thing that my heart says about me is that I'm unclean and I'll never get any better. Yeah. You know, and, and that, if I really believe that, which I did for tons of years, if I really believe that to be true, then I really don't have any hope. Because if I just think I'm a scumbag with no, uh, no hope of changing, then I won't change. Mm. Uh, so passages that have helped me with that are like Philippians 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm. Um, so that, that verse helps me because it, it takes focus off of myself, which, of course, in my own strength, I am incapable of changing. Um, but in God's hands, I mean, what what is too difficult for God to do? Yeah. You know, so I, I use that verse and, and those like it, you know, like Romans 8 or Ephesians 1 or any any verse that really talks about God's work of sanctification in my life. And I hold on to those, and I, I'm learning how to trust the Word of God over my emotions, which is not easy. Yeah, but that's what we're all, that's what Christians are all doing, right? We're all kind of working on that issue of trusting God over our thoughts and you know, our minds. I was thinking, you know, the, the Bible just gives us kind of like a, a foundation, for the way life is, you know, like the reality of life. And so the Bible, in a sense, becomes a tool to use um, for us, meaning for those of us who believe it to be the word of God, um, for whatever reasons, we believe it to be the word of God, but we're just assuming that we believe it's the word of God. We come to the Bible and we believe that what it says about reality in life is true. Um, and so we believe that it, when it speaks about things sexually, that its framework is, is right and correct. Um, its worldview on things is right and correct. Um, and... So it becomes a, a source of encouragement to us because it's what is the instruction manual really for helping us see things properly. Mm. Um, now, it's kind of, if the Bible's not the only tool that people use in the world, you know, to battle, quote, um, sexual things. You know, I was thinking of uh, the feminist writer out of um, University of Texas of Austin, um, uh, I forget his name, I think it's Jenkins, but Professor Jenkins, but, you know, he is a feminist and he uses feminist material 
as, in a sense, his Bible. And he believes that what it says is to be true. And so his reasons for not viewing pornography uh, and going to it, he finds encouragement from feminist literature that is his, in a sense, source of truth. That's how he has chosen to look at the world through that lens. And so he's got his own reasons for why he doesn't think viewing pornography is correct. His would probably be because uh, the nature of most pornography is patriarchal. It's it's manship, man lordship over women. And hence it's wrong. And and what we need to do in society is get rid of that kind of idea. Um, so everybody, I guess my point is, is that everybody's going to some kind of source, you know, for some kind of truth. And we, we as Christians are going to the Bible and we're looking at, you know, the worldview of the Bible. And I was, you know, in Ecclesiastes, as you know, the other day, and it says, and there's not a single man on the earth who does not, always, who does always good and never sins Mm -hmm. so we know that from the bible perspective there's we we all are are in a sense missing the mark of god's perfection and for me just going to the bible and seeing its worldview is really true that makes sense to me it makes sense that if god is really god if there really is a god then he's got to be much greater than all of us Mm -hmm. and so we would all fall short of his his attributes and his, you know, being his glory, Hmm. you know, everything that he is. Um, And so in a sense, that becomes an encouragement to me. Hmm. You know, the Bible itself at that real foundational level, you know, becomes a real source of encouragement because I I think it's, I think it's saying a a real thing about how we as human beings are. Um, Because if, if, if you don't believe that everybody on the earth, um, fall short of the glory of God, then what do you believe? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? And and do you believe there is no God to fall short of the glory of? Or do you believe man is pretty good? Or do you believe man's like, okay, and what constitutes good and bad? And, you know, whose truth is really right? And, you know, you get all into that kind of thinking, right? And then then it becomes very difficult, I think, to maneuver, um, in a lot of ways in life, I think you become very, you can become shaky or unless like Jenkins, Professor Jenkins, you maybe just get locked into a certain philosophy and you just go, hey, I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, I'm in the, you know, I'm a, I'm a Epicurean and that's what I believe or I'm a Stoic and that's what I believe and I'm a, you know, this, you know, I follow David Hume and that's what I believe or I follow, you know, not modern guys, Richard Dawkins and their philosophy on life and that's what I believe. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. So for us as Christians, man, it's nice to have um, uh, uh, the Bible, I think, because it seems to really have a real good grasp of reality, mm. you know. In the same book, it says that, you know, God has set eternity in the hearts of man, Hmm. which I thought is very cool. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. Um, You know, he's planted this eternity. Why do we even have to talk about this? You know, why does Professor Jenkins, why does he have to talk about pornography? What's the point? Hmm. You know, but for some reason in human beings, we feel like there is an absolute right. There is an absolute wrong. And we're just trying to and, and we're all, you know, holding fast to something to help us 
navigate through the right and wrong. Hmm. You know, and as Christians, we're na- we're using the Bible as our navigation. Hmm. Why? Because it makes sense. It seems to make sense, you know. So I get a lot of encouragement just from the, kind of that real foundational, like why I use the Bible. Hmm. Because when I pick it up, I find things uh, to be very true. You, you know, you brought up Jeremiah chapter mm-hmm. 17. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and I think you touched on a lot of uh, key points that uh, kind of illustrate what I was talking about in the beginning. Uh, the first one is that, <clears throat> you know, like why... Why do we believe in the Bible? Because the thing about it is, is that the Bible will have as much influence in your life as you allow it to. So if I see the Bible is just kind of like, well, it's got a lot of good morals and stuff like that. Or if I see God as kind of like a, a wishy-washy dude who really doesn't care or anything like that, which is the way I used to view God, then I, of course I'm not going to listen to the Bible. It's just something, whenever I disagree with the Bible, I'll just go about my way. And for me... When I came to the Bible when I was 16 years old, um, just coming out of atheism, I praise God that the Bible is not about some wishy-washy God who doesn't really care what you do. Because my life was kind of really sucky. I was morbidly depressed. I didn't think that life had any meaning. Um, I was knee-deep in pornography, which was not helping me. And I was in- incredibly in dis- I was in despair. I was absolutely in despair. And what I didn't want to see when I opened the Bible was, God says what you're doing is okay. Like, I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see the Bible saying the same thing my culture was saying about sex, because what my culture was saying about sex wasn't working. It wasn't working, not just for me, but when I looked at all my friends and the way that they treated their sexuality, I saw it wasn't working for them either. Hmm. They were in, like, massive crap. And I was looking, I was like, man, I... I definitely don't want the Bible to say the same thing my culture was saying. And I, and I praise God that when I started reading the Bible, it had a very different view of sexuality than the culture. And it had a view of, of sexuality that I never heard before. Mm-hmm. It had a view of sexuality that transcends culture, race, gender, anything. It had a view of sexuality that seems to work uh, for anybody. That's a good point. You know? I mean, I, I mean, keep going, but I like how you said it. it transcends. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, because whatever we go to has to transcend it. I mean, our our culture obviously has a very different view of sexuality than, say, the Middle Eastern culture or, or say, the, the Asian culture or the European culture. You know, we all have different views of sexuality. And when you look at everybody's view of sexuality, you know, I took anthropology in college. When you look at everybody's different views of sexuality, the only common denominator that they have is that they all fail. Mm. You know, uh, when I looked, uh, when I took anthropology, I thought it was, thought it was amazing to study different sexualities throughout the world. I studied, uh, Tibetan cultures that were, uh, I think it's called polygony, where it's one woman marries multiple men. Is that what it's called? Polyandry? Polyandry, that's the one. Yeah. They did polyandry, and, and, and here you have, you know, these different husbands that are fighting in the household because they both want the woman, and <laughs> one's lazy and the other one's not, and it's like this crazy, like, Jerry, you know, <laughs> what, what was I want Jerry Springer show like <laughs> yeah, all yeah, the time, yeah. you know? Rolling. Yeah, and then and then you they went into like Asian cultures where like they that no one gets married, right? Where the way it is is like uh, it's like you have relationships with multiple different people and it's like more open kind of relationship. But then again, you have all the jealousies, the enviousness. You got like dudes sneaking into to girls' houses at midnight and like having sex with them and then leaving. And then another dude crawls in the same window, and it's just mm-hmm. like it's this crazy like 
debauchery and then and then you got like indian cultures that are like man like marriage is all just about commitment and taking care of the kids and they get married and they're miserable they don't even like one another you know but mm-hmm. they just kind of stick it out because that's what they're supposed to do for their culture and they end up having extramarital affairs all the time and you know so every culture that i studied it's like the only common denominator is that sex just ain't working in that mm-hmm. culture and then i looked at my culture and it's like sex ain't working in this culture either you know, it seems to be an incredibly damaging thing. You know, when I looked at my friends and, and all their failed relationships and I looked at all the, the different baggage that people brought into relationships from previous relationships and negative encounters with sexuality. And, and once again, in my own life, in my view of sexuality, definitely didn't work. So when I looked at all of it as a whole, I was like, I, I think I need a different perspective. Yeah. And the fact that the Bible, I mean, the, the view of sexuality that's in the Bible comes from a culture in the the stinking Middle East of all places, you know, this tiny little country that's not even the size of New Jersey. And their view of sexuality is so powerful and prolific that it impacted uh, Europe completely. It impacts Asia. It impacts America. And whatever uh, whatever I see inside of my life is I see that their view of love is something that I think is absolutely beyond anything that I could ever understand. That's what I definitely, I mean, when you read the biblical view of love, anyone would agree, atheist, Christian, Hindu, whatever, you would agree that if that was real, if I could have that in my marriage, I would want that. Mm-hmm. You know, when they, when you view like the level of commitment that the Bible talks about inside of marriage and sexuality, when you view uh, the, the Bible's view of, of pleasure within sexuality, the Bible's view of, of passion within sexuality, all those things, anyone who read the Bible would be like, I want that. You know, so it definitely transcends culture. It definitely is applicable for all genders, all races, all peoples, mm-hmm. in all times. And it stood the test of time. I mean, the fact that people like me... 2016 years after this uh, after the new testament was written mm-hmm. is going back and reading their view of sex and getting informed by it is crazy you know where cultures and civilizations they change all the time their views of sexuality so why would you want to subscribe to that anyway yeah what well, that's that, man so true so true you know one of the things i was reading in uh joshua harris book um sex is not the problem lust is and i i read this years ago but um one thing that was highlighted is you cannot successfully battle any sin apart from the awareness of God's grace. Mm. Um, you know, when we already lay the groundwork of why the Bible is such an encouragement to us, and we already talked about a couple things of why it's so important and such an encouragement for us, why we go to the Bible as a source. You know, the other thing in battling what we would call sexual sin is that you can't battle this thing apart from that awareness of God's grace. Um, and I think that's probably the most encouraging uh, part of it. You know, when I, I, I think one of the most encouraging passages I could help people out with, and I think needs to really be um, uh, kind of a staple in your life. And I don't, I, I don't say that really as a, I think you need to have this. I, uh, I think there's a big biblical reason um, and precedent that's set. You know, it tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 13 that have our hearts established in grace in verse 9. Hmm. You know, so grace is something that, you know, Paul said that we needed our hearts established in. It's kind of interesting, but in Galatians, when you study that book and you get to the end of the book, um, what he talks about is, you know, a group of people that are falling from grace, hmm. you know, and um, 
And so we see that the big battle seems to be is with this issue of grace, you know, falling away from this idea of grace. Mm. Even in Hebrews, you know, chapter 10, I mean, the big warning is that really there is a insulting the spirit of grace mm. uh, as far in, in this warning passage uh, in the book of Hebrews 10, meaning it's a warning about those that want to go back to this kind of relationship with God that is based off of acceptance uh, on good works, on on the value of your good deeds or ceremonies or religious works before God. Um, and he warns them and says, you've insulted the spirit of grace. And, you know, I, I get through those passages and I, I see, man, dude, there there really is this this idea throughout the the Bible that, you know, that having our hearts established with grace is vital. So. Titus 2, where it says that famous passage in verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, meaning the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Who is that? That's Jesus. Mm. You know, the grace of God is seen in Jesus. He teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And for me, that's always been a great encouragement, you know, because it's kept things really simple for me in my head. You know, so it's instead of like so many times you want to when you're stumbling into uh, self-gratification and pornography and just sensuality, you know, in general. Um, and what we mean by that specifically is me and Peter mean eros, erotic without agape. That's what we mean specifically. So if you want to know specifically what we mean, we mean that viewing pornography erotica. Without agape, meaning it's it be, it's a, it becomes a selfish act. You know, it's not with our spouses, it, so it's, it's there's selfishness there. Mm-hmm. Um, so just so if you guys are clear at that, but it, it, it's simple because it just says the grace of God, Jesus, has appeared to all men. He is the grace. He is the gift of God that has appeared to all men, and He teaches us. You know, it's through His act of love and giving of Himself to us. And it's through my being aware of that and growing in that that it literally moves and transforms my life. Mm. Um, you know, and that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me just in life, you know, meaning, mm. you know, what has moved me most in my life as a person? Mm. You know, it has been other people. It's been personal relationships and acts of love that people have done in my life or lacks of hate that people have done in my life you know, that have affected me personally, that has moved me um, in my life or challenged me or motivated me or things of that nature. Um, And of course, the acts of love have certainly dominated all of our lives. That's what has transformed us uh, in people. That's what we enjoy about people's relationships in general is when they care for us or love us, you know, it moves us to want to respond. There's a reciprocation, you know. So... For me, it's no different, and that's why the Bible makes sense to me. You know, it makes sense that that it's God's relationship with us is not going to be built off of some kind of rule or regulation uh, kind of thing where you do this or you get this. Hmm. But and that's going to be the motivator. Hmm. That's going to be because that's never motivated me much <laughs> in the past. Yeah. You know, it's like I certainly have have had those type of relationships before it's not that they're they're not any valid at all i certainly have had them 
you know, we have them with court systems, you know, where, you know, a court says, hey, you can't do this. You go, okay, and I'm motivated because I'm fearful of what the court can do. Yeah. Or I played a lot of baseball when the guy said, hey, dude, get off your rear and go in there and do this. You know, you're like, okay, but you're a little more like nervous, you know, like, <laughs> okay, you know. But it, it's not the great, but when you really were going into the game because you loved your coach and you knew your coach encouraged you and said, bro, I know you can do this, you know. That relationship was was everything, hmm. you know. It it moved you to want to get out on the field and play right and try to get a home run or try to get a good hit or, you know. And that's what's cool about even if you watch baseball today, especially little league baseball. You know, the guy swings, he misses. He he gets out of the batter's box. He looks down the third base line. He sees his coach. He there's a coach at the third base line, and he's always looking at the baseball hitter. The hitter who missed, and he looks at him and he claps his hands. He's like, hey, it's okay, Johnny, dude. Just get your eye on the ball. You know what I mean? He's always encouraging. And that little moment of encouragement makes the guy go, hey, okay, I'm I'm good. You know what I mean? It's okay. You know, and it gets him right back in that risk area of the batter's box to to do it again. You know what I mean? Potentially to fail. You know, but he knows that that relationship is there. You know? So to me... These kind of passages and and studies like this uh, are are everything to me in fighting these battles. You know, they certainly keep me going and get me up. You know, hmm. yeah, myself as well. And uh, I, I like how you pointed out the grace of God because you know, as we're talking about these different these different things, I could look to other than the Bible. I mean, the obvious problem with them is if I have a if I have an ethic about anything. Uh, forget sex, but if I have an ethic about anything, that ethic will ultimately become a burden on my life. And, and here's what I mean by that. For me, um, you know, before I knew God, it's not that I didn't have any ethics towards sex. I had ethics towards sex. I had things that I would do and wouldn't do. Right. Um, but the problem is, if you have an ethic without grace, ultimately it's going to be a burden. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, you always feel like you have to live up to it, or else you're just not a good person. You know, if you ever fail whatever ethic you've put in your life, you can't forgive yourself. You know, I know our culture says that a lot. You need to learn how to forgive yourself. How's that working out for anybody? You know, the guilt's still there. The shame's still there. You can't forgive yourself. You need an outside word. And so if I have my own ethic, like uh, like the professor that you were talking about towards pornography, if that dude falls to pornography, by his own admonition, he's a scumbag. You know, so right. how, how do you get over guilt like that if you set the standard and you can't even live up to it, and that's the problem that most of us have, is that as, as human beings, we cannot live up to our own standards of righteousness. And that's why we always feel guilty and shame-ridden, is because we can't live up to it and it frustrates us. And beyond that, usually what it also causes us to do is to hide things in the dark because we don't want other people to know that we're a failure. Yeah, and, and, and that's ultimately like... What, I like how you put that because that's ultimately what you set yourself up for without yeah. grace. You that's know? right. Because yeah. obviously if that dude ever does fail, yeah. he doesn't want to tell anybody. <laughs> that would be horrible. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's written books. He's da 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 Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, how how much of a, like, how humbling would it be for that dude to come out who's written books about why he doesn't view porn to be like, hey... I view porn. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that would be no, that'd be I, pretty I, I radical. I messed up the other day. Or yeah, something I messed that. up uh, because in their view, in their view, it's just like you know, it's just something that you you do. You know, just don't view porn. Yeah, it's that simple. You know, it's it's wrong and you shouldn't do it, so don't do it. 
and and the problem is, is that we know uh, those of us who struggle with any type of sin know that it's not that simple. You can't just not do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a force in there. There's a pull that's stronger than we are. And so once again, if you do fall to it, then you feel the need to hide things in the dark. And when you hide things in the dark, first of all, you feel isolated, you feel alone. The guilt and the shame builds. Usually you're falling to the sin builds even more uh, because you're in the darkness and you don't feel comfortable telling anyone else because you're, again, you're failing, you're a failure. And then uh, beyond that, you tend to be very judgmental to other people who also fail on that same ethic. You know, you tend to call them out. And the more you call other people out, once again, the more you feel like you're you're being judged. Yeah, that's what Jesus says: "Judge not, lest you be judged." That's what he meant. He means the second I point my finger at someone and says, "I can't believe you did that," all of a sudden, in my own heart, the next time I fail in that same exact way, I'm going to feel like the worst person ever. You know, if I point at people and say, "I can't believe you view pornography," then I go home and view pornography. What's my image of myself going to be? Right. You know, so an ethic without grace is ultimately damaging and a burden. And that's why I think I think the re- what you re- what you just said is the reason why I've always wanted Running Light Ministries mm. to not be a ministry that's that's anti-porn. Mm. Because I think that puts on us the thing of like, oh, well they used to be they used to struggle with porn, but they don't anymore. And yeah. and what that would do to us <laughs> would be kind of a wreck. That would kill us, yeah. Right. Kill me. Yeah. yeah, because we'd be like, oh my gosh, like, okay, I, I, you know, I'm struggling with lust, I'm struggling with lust, I'm struggling with lust. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, not. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but we would we would want to hide it because we go, oh my gosh, you know, everybody knows us as anti-porn. Mm. And that's why I've always wanted to stay away from the whole anti-porn thing. Mm. You know, I'm pro-moving towards Christ. Mm. I'm pro-Christ. I'm pro the grace of Christ. Mm. You know, I'm... You know, I'm I'm not anti-pornography, mm. you know, I'm pro-Jesus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's the emphasis. Yeah. That's That's where the emphasis of the ministry is. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, and, and that's why. I mean, man, I would hate for any of us to be in this ministry and, and all of a sudden we're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like mm. I'm struggling and how can I say anything and. You know, I mean, I mean, I've written a book on on this subject, but more of a, like a cultural book, yeah. you know, about our culture and stuff like that. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, what a great yeah. point that you bring up, Bo, uh, about you know the fear and the shame and the regret and all that stuff that could cripple us as Christians. And 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 that's a, that's another important thing to to bring up. I I don't feel like I should have to bring it up, but I, I kind of feel the need to right now. Mm-hmm. Is that just because we have the Bible? doesn't mean that we listen to it. Meaning, I was a Christian, and I had this view of God that he was condemning me, and he was angry at me whenever I fell, and I was burdened by that guilt. Because once again, I had an ethic. Even though I was a Christian, I had an ethic devoid of grace. I didn't think that grace applied to me. And I would actually isolate verses in the Bible to confirm my heart of self-hatred. Uh, I would take passages out of context and be like, man, I suck. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 says anyone who sins sexually sins against the body. You know, man, like I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm, I'm sinning against myself. I have no hope, you know, and I would, it would just further beat up on myself because I had a, I had a false view of God and I didn't actually listen to what the Bible was telling me. So I couldn't receive that grace. And uh, th- this is another passage that helps me out. Let me, let me share it with you guys. This is Hosea 11. One eleven or eleven chapter eleven. Hosea chapter eleven. Oh, okay. Uh, verse one. 
When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed the Baals, and they turned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. So you have this really cool picture of God looking at us, at Israel in this context, but again, it applies to us through the sacrifice of Christ. But he looks at them as like a a kid learning how to walk. Like he's taking them, notice what it says in verse 3, it says he, he takes them by the arms, almost like holding them up as they're learning how to walk and pulling them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love, not with fear, not with compulsion, but with love. And this is, again, this is not to people who are like awesome. These are people who God is comparing to a whore in this book. And and these this chapter, like, it's like, it blew me away. I was like, oh my gosh, like, it totally changed my perspective of how God saw me. Hmm. Now it's like, I mean, how many of you parents out there if you were watching your kid learning to walk for the first time, if they bailed, would you be like, I can't believe you, you know, you little scumbag, you know, like, why can't you figure this out? Like, no, you, you take them by the arms, you pick them up and you say, hey, try again. You know, and that was the picture I got of God in my head, that he's not this disappointed father. He's like an excited father watching me learn how to walk. And though I stumble, though I fall, man, he's always there to help me back up. He's always there to forgive me. And now as i'm living as i'm trying to um to fulfill the biblical ethic on on sexuality now i have this overwhelming grace and love that's picking me up and moving me yeah. in this beautiful direction and I, I love how you said about our our goal is not sexual purity but it is christ we're we're running after jesus and as we fall more in love with him the fruit of that relationship is freedom from this sin so that's how grace like it, it encourages me it strengthens me it lifts me up and it helps me to do more than I ever could under the law. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you, you know, the Bible is, is wonderful in, in that it, it not only shows us this wonderful perspective of God and his His overwhelming love for us, like in Hosea 11 or these grace passages, um, you know, but it also gives us kind of the, the, the direction of what it's like to show pursue christ you know you know i think of like uh some of the psalms psalm 119 104 i delight in your precepts therefore i hate every wrong path mm-hmm. and and um notice the steps of that of that sentence i delight in your precepts mm-hmm. it's like and, and that becomes you know that to me that becomes like a pursuit of christ jesus is called the word mm-hmm. and um he is the word made flesh mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, if you knew the Old Testament, you'd know him for it speaks of him. Mm. You know, to li- to delight in God's word is to delight in Christ. Mm. And um, and and you delight in Christ and then then the transformation takes place. And and that's what that's what we're looking for is we're always on that trajectory of looking uh, of that tr- of that transforming work. We are in, you know, a constant metamorphosis, if you will, to becoming more like Christ, you know, and more into that beautiful butterfly, you know, that it promises we shall be one day where we will see him and and and, and we shall be like him, mm. you know. So we're constantly being transformed into that. But it starts through a, a delighting in Christ. And to me, that, again, is simple. 
It's just going, hey, I just need to learn to delight in Christ. You know, because if I try to just hate pornography and just be like anti-porn and porn's all over the place and porn, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. And just this kind of attitude, then I find that my heart is just, it's just focused on porn. That's all I'm focused on. Focus. And, and there's, and I, I've read enough where I, I know, because I can argue, <laughs> um, but I know enough about pornography where, um, where I, I can argue with people, um, um, Christians for porn. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Meaning I, I know I, we can talk about rape and porn. We could talk about how porn helps people out. We can, I can actually talk about those subjects. You know, people go, well, how does porn help you out? How, you know, well, some people out there, you know, to them who don't have anybody in their life. I mean, if you look at just the world from a world perspective, not a Christian perspective, but it's just a secular perspective, meaning you look at it as no God, just a humanistic perspective. Pornography certainly becomes a help for a lot of a lot of people, you know, because it becomes a way for them to avoid AIDS, disease. It helps them to find pleasure apart from hurting other people you know it, there's a lot of it becomes economic safety um where you don't have to risk your job and and everything like that for the sake of dating someone or, or going and getting someone or being found out at a getting a prostitute or any of those things you can do everything online and please yourself and and you're fine so if you look at it from a human perspective por- you know pornography is probably great yeah you know what i mean <laughs> but see, and 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 it's like, I, you know, so to me, to, you know, to argue anti-porn, um, it, 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 it's not functional for life transformation. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. It's just not functional for life trans transformation. Yeah. Life transformation only comes from a, a biblical perspective through the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. Yeah, and I mean you know? even. Um, uh, not only that, but I mean, it's it's something that God doesn't even want. You know, when you look at Jesus, he's talking to people like the Pharisees who are definitely like, they would be the anti-porn people of the <laughs> day, you know? Like, yeah. they would be the anti-everything, you know, anti-alcohol, anti-porn. You know, these were highly religious, educated, you know, white-collar guys who were serving at the temple. They're, you know, they're doing everything right. They're teaching the word, you know, from all perspectives, they're like the most moral dudes ever. And Jesus is just like disgusted with them. Like he has, I like in Matthew, he just rails on them for like three whole chapters about like how it's like, it's like heavy. (laughs) And when you look at it, you're like, what gives man? These guys are doing everything morally right. And Jesus says they're doing everything from an outwardly perspective, morally right. But inwardly they are filled with pride and self-conceit. Uh, or, or even to put it in another perspective, in Revelation, Jesus writes to it, the church of Ephesus, and he compliments him. He says, man, you got great works, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. And when I think about it from the relational perspective that you brought up, Bo, it take, makes total sense to me. Uh, because if God is a person, I mean, I just think about, you know, like my wife. I mean, what if I, what if I did all the right things as a husband, but I didn't do them because I loved her? You know, she comes home and I'm like, I'm cleaning the kitchen or something like that. And she's like, oh man, thanks for doing that. Oh, I didn't do it for you. You know, dirty kitchens are gross. I don't want to get a disease. You know, that's why I did it. 
you know, or, or, you know, like I made her dinner and she's like, oh, thanks for making me dinner. I was like, oh, well, this is what husbands are supposed to do. I read the book on husbandry, you know, and I just, I just read. And page this is 45. I, page 45 <laughs> says make your wife dinner. And so that's what I did. You know, don't, don't think it has any, I mean, how many, how many wives out there would be like totally stoked that their husband said that? Oh, you know, he read the book on being a good husband. And so that's why he's doing it. Yeah. You know, well, how many Christians have read the book on being a good Christian? And that's why you're doing it. You know, it has nothing to do with love for God. It has nothing to do with his glory, his name. It has everything to do with your own morality and your own ethic system. You know, in which case God says in Isaiah, he says, your good deeds are like filthy rags before me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the word he uses is actually menstrual cloth. You know, like you use tampon. He's like, dude, it's gross. I don't want it. it it's like nothing to me. Mm-hmm. So if I if I really love God, if I really love him, then out of my love will flow good works, just like any any personal relationship. But if I don't love him first, then it's just going to be a burden, and it's ultimately going to be displeasing to him. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the Bible, it's like, it's like, do you read the Bible? I like the, the, the one that you quoted from Psalm 119, that I delight in your precepts. I mean, do you delight in the Word of God? And And to the amount of delight that you have in the Word of God has everything to do with how much you love God. You know, because this is his word. This is the stuff that he wrote to us. It's like his love letter. You know, and if I don't like somebody, I'm not going to want to read something they wrote. Yeah. You know, if I if I don't dig my wife and she sends me a text, I'm going to be like, oh, that's great. And I'm going to delete it. You know, <laughs> but if I really truly. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't do that. that. <laughs> you know, but if I really love my wife and she sends me a text, I'm going to delight. Yeah. In those words. Yeah. In the same way, totally. if I really love God, I'm going to delight in his word. Yeah, and that's it. It's like the word is the greatest encouragement, um, and you just put it right on. It's because it's it's from him. That's our belief, that it's from him. It makes sense to us. It's uh, in the word. It it, uh, it makes sense in this world, um, how how this world is. Um, we see that uh, we can't, you know, life without grace it sucks. It's not a good life. <laughs> It's, it fills us with self-righteousness and pride, uh, which is never works in relationships. When someone's self-righteous and prideful, it's very difficult to be with someone like that. Mm. You know, um, and and so it makes sense that God would be a gracious God and a, a loving God. And and uh, hopefully that's some encouragement to you guys out there. Um, um, you know, the great thing is that you might be listening to it and go yeah but we're not there you know i just i've, I've kind of i am that guy who left it my first love mm-hmm. you know well the great thing is is that g- grace itself would tell you that that just ask the lord mm-hmm. to give you a new heart i mean that's what grace does grace allows you to approach the throne of god mm-hmm. and to ask those questions for a new heart see and that's the that's the beauty is like if you weren't if you weren't under grace you couldn't come to God you had already biffed it yeah. you know you already were guilty how can you approach a guilt God it would only be by you trying to do good works and and even then you wouldn't know if it, you're really doing it right or wrong hence you would have to do some remarkable act and and hope upon uh, above hope that that remarkable act would get you into heaven hence martyrdom hence suicide bombing in Islam. You know why that makes sense? Why they would do that? Because that 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 is what makes sense in the in a in a religious law system. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, because if someone does sin horribly, I mean, how do you how do you what's the recompense for that? You know, how what is the 
what what is the way you can pay that back? You know what I mean? You can't. You're toast. It's way you've already gone way too far yeah. in a sinful direction. And for most of us in porn, you know, we've already gone. We already know we've gone too far. Hmm. You know, in a direction. And for some who who viewing porn is nothing, you've had prostitutes. You've gone to massage parlors. You've committed adultery. You've you know you've done it multiple times. You've consistently done these things. How can you repay God? You know, you can't, you know. So it's like, but the Bible says the grace of God is there so that you can approach the throne boldly. You can come to him because mm. Jesus is the high priest who can sympathize with you. He knows the temptations you go through. He knows the frailty of the human body. Mm. He's, he's, he's had it himself, you know. And uh, so if you're out there and you, and you need that encouragement, that's why we went over today's stuff is just to encourage you with the word and how the word has encouraged us and its foundations and we hope it it does you so we'll talk to you guys next week check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series take flight and love or lust you can also send us questions on twitter at running light or on our runninglight.org podcast page like us on facebook at running light ministries psalm 36 8 They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.